everybody seems to have some sort of addiction or some sort of thing that they do to escape life, right? Yeah, to escape yeah. the feelings. And uh, people come to me and they're often like, I've never done this before. I've never sat, I'm afraid to be alone with myself. I don't know how to do this. And, and it's so often just sitting with them, guiding them through it. And they realize, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like right now, my guest is going to be uh, Jessica Amos. But before we get there, just going through the uh, normal pleasantries. If you would like to make a change in your life, if you would like to choose yourself if you would like to stop feeling sick and tired of being sick and tired if you would like to figure out who you are and to create a new potential and step in and reclaim your power then get over to www.1000daysober.com our website and check in there uh, and book yourself in a choose yourself call me and you will have a chat and i will let you know what we could do to help you we have relationship courses we have uh, personal development courses. We have courses helping you give up smoking and giving up drinking. Uh, but most importantly, right at the center of it all is the 1,000 Days Sober Experience. A humdinger of an opportunity to learn more about why you drink, how to stop amidst an incredible team of coaches giving you personal one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. If you want a part of that, get over to www.1000daysober.com and we will get chatting. So without further ado, I'm going to shut up and just tell you a little bit about Jessica Amos. She's a meditation teacher. She's a life transformation coach and punk rocker, as well as the founder of Stay With Yourself, the practice of being who you are, where you are. Jessica wants to live in a world where everyone knows how valuable and worthy of love they are always. And as a meditation teacher, Jessica is regularly featured on Insight Timer, the number one meditation app in the world and renowned for her TEDx Salem talk about healing anxiety through becoming your greatest friend and ally. As a punk rocker, Jessica plays bass in the all-femme punk band Hot Sheets Band and likes to joke she's the world's most okayest bassist. And when she's not coaching, recording new meditations, creating online courses, or teaching classes in Salem, Oregon, you can find her watching movies that make her cry and laugh in equal measure, taking obscenely long walks, and planning her next escape from the internet. But I managed to grab her on the internet for 90 minutes. We talked about... A lot of stuff around meditation and mindfulness, about dealing with thoughts, about dealing with triggers. Uh, but most importantly, the reason I got her on it, we talk about boundaries. If you want to work with Jessica Amos or learn more about her, get over to www.1000daysober.com. Go to the podcast page. You'll find a specific page there for Jessica and you'll find all of her details. All right. Without further ado, I'll shut the hell up. Leave you in the capable hands of Jessica Amos. Jessica Amos, how are you diddling, Jessica? I'm diddling good. <laughs> diddling good. Well, I have already told these peeps uh, who you are, what you're about in the little intro, but I can never do you justice. So just give a little bit of an explanation about what you're up to these days. Sure. Yeah. I am a mindfulness and meditation teacher as well as a life transformation coach. I am the founder of Stay With Yourself, which is the practice of being who you are where you are. And that is the foundation of everything I do, everything I teach, everything I do with clients and out in the world. It is really 
showing people, teaching them, really being an example of what it means to stay with yourself, to always be here with yourself, not betraying yourself for approval, looking outside of yourself for approval, but being right here in the moment with you. How do you get somebody like me, who's like heads like buzzing everywhere to, you know, be present? Like, uh, how, how do you go about doing that work with people? I'm, I'm, I'm not a lost cause. Please tell me I'm not a lost cause. <laughs> you're, no, you're not a lost cause. I think that the biggest belief is that people tell themselves they're a lost cause. They tell themselves they're bad at meditation. Then they tell themselves they can't sit still and this, that, and the other and uh, for me, mindfulness, meditation, staying with yourself is not about being still or getting the mind to stop being crazy. It's really being in, um, really in acceptance of the fact that this is what your mind does. This is how you are stepping back, observing that, not getting so attached to it. Because uh, that's really the thing that, that causes the most judgment is just the attachment and the ideas about yourself and what it all means. Well, let me just hit you with a gem straight out of the gate then, right? So what, sure. one of the biggest problems that people have when they come to me in the 1,000 Day Sober container is they, they come because they can't control their desire to drink alcohol. If they could, they mm. wouldn't turn up, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, Lee, we really need you to help me not think about drinking alcohol. Mm. So I've got I've to kind of help them, guide them. Like the, when they're in a trigger moment and they're in, in their head, I got to try to help them to get out of their head and into their body, right? Yeah. So, could you just give give a, a little bit of a talk on why it's so important? The possibilities of getting out of your head and getting into your body. Can you only jump from your head to your heart? Could you be in your big toe? Uh, why? Why? How do you do it? What's the benefits? <laughs> Just chuck in a lot of questions at you randomly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, let me step back and, and put myself in that position because granted, uh, maybe my addiction is an alcohol, but we all have something. We do. Yep. So I know for me, the thing that I find the most helpful is first just starting with grace, 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 and learning to be uncomfortable, getting comfortable with discomfort. Because when you run up against... That, that urge, that need, that desire. I mean, it's, it's really, really intense and it can be very difficult to sit in the discomfort of that craving of that need. And so what I teach is don't try to get away from the craving. Don't try to get away from the need. Don't try to get necessarily out of your head. Your head, your body, all of it is right here with you in this moment. So just observing what is happening, allowing it to happen, and allow giving yourself permission to be uncomfortable. Part of why you're in the situation you're in is because you're trying to not be uncomfortable. You're trying to get back to some place of numbing or comfort. So the only way to get out of it is to really do the opposite and be uncomfortable with sitting with that craving, that need, that urge, that desire and not acting on it. Right. So like it's, it's, and having all the thoughts going on, all of the, um, the stories, whatever they are for you, like sitting and observing them. If you are able to know what your stories are, cause they're the same. You've been listening to them for so long now that just sitting and observing them. And that's so much of what meditation is. It's not about getting quiet inside necessarily. It's, sifting through the 50 million thoughts that are coming in, in any given moment, observing them so that when you are hit with that, that moment of just, I don't know if I can do it. You've already prepared yourself. You know, what's coming because you've sat with it. 
Mm. You've allowed yourself to be uncomfortable and not try to get away from it, push it away or cling to it at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It brought up a little bit of a, a thought for me, actually, that whilst the, you know, the long-term goal is for people at 1,000, or anybody, let's just say anybody, the long-term goal for anybody who wants to kind of grow and evolve is to be able to sit yourself with your uncomfortable feelings and just be autonomous in that, you know, and, and just, uh, just to own it. But in the time period where you're really struggling, I can see how it would be really beneficial to have someone by your side that mm-hmm. you could call on and go, I'm really struggling right now. And they would be able to hold the space for you to sit with your uncomfortable feelings. Yes. Because I, I actually believe, and this is just my subjective thought, obviously, because it's, I don't know what's in other people's heads. <laughs> um, but in my own experience of addiction, the, the actual trigger, like the talk that goes on, it's not really that uncomfortable. Not for me. And I think there's a part of a story that makes it, it has to be, the story has to be that it's uncomfortable because if it's not, then I have to admit that my integrity, I'm out of whack with my integrity because I'm, I'm choosing to drink. Let's use that as an example. I'm choosing to drink. It's not that I can't beat this monster. I'm just choosing to drink and that's out of a line of integrity. So I'll create the story that it's a bad bastard and I can't beat it. So yeah, I think when you're sitting with someone, then you're like, no, I want to go and have a drink. They're like, hang on a minute. Mm-hmm. Let's just get the pen and paper out or whatever, and let's just process these feelings. And then I think you'll, you'll, you'll still experience it for themselves, right? That I can do this. Abs- yeah, absolutely. I think uh, absolutely uh, needing, having, asking for, getting for yourself support so that you're not doing it alone. That's, I mean, even though not everyone's coming to me the same way they come to you, where it's addiction-based, Though I, everybody seems to have some sort of addiction or some sort of thing that they do to escape life, right? Yeah, to escape yeah. the feelings. And uh, people come to me and they're often like, I've never done this before. I've never sat. I'm afraid to be alone with myself. I don't know how to do this. And, and it's so often just sitting with them, guiding them through it. And they realize, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. And that, those are that's my favorite is people coming to me going, I can't meditate. I can't do it. I can't be alone. I can't do this work. And I'm like, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you're my favorite because um, I've been there too, right? And this is, where, this is where things really, 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 really open up in a huge life-transforming way is when you're right at the beginning and you step over that edge into it just even trying a new way of being and finding out you didn't die. <laughs> You're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You made it through. And it's, it's, it really, in those moments, it really builds an enormous amount of trust with yourself and you realize how strong you are and it feels really, really good to be strong. Yeah. It's like, uh, it reminds me of exposure therapy. Uh, mm. I, I remember David Burns on the feeling good podcast. <laughs> he did this great story. So he was working with this woman who, had a fear of elevators. So he said to her, um, okay, um, we're going to use something called exposure therapy. It's really going to be um, worrying for you. You may have a panic attack, but I want you to know that I am trained to deal with a panic attack. So you're completely safe with me. She's like, okay, I don't really want to do this. She's like, no, come on, we're going to do this. So he gets her in the elevator and they go up, right, to like the 15th floor or whatever. And she's like, she's convinced she's going to have a heart attack, right? And David's like, look, you know, I just want you to know that I'm trained. I've got your hand. I'm here to hold you. Just breathe into this bag, whatever. An hour later, she's begging him to get out of the lift. 
She's begging him to get out of the elevator. She's like, David, okay, I get it. Okay, can I get out of this lift? This is so boring. I understand it. I'm not gonna... And Dave's like, okay, you're cured. Go on, off you go. But that, that's the type of thing we're talking about, right? Yes. No, I love that. I love um, I love that. Like, okay, this is so boring in here now. You know, this yeah, thing, yeah, that, I this thing I that, I I've been, <laughs> that I've been so afraid of, that I've been so uh, avoiding, like now you get over and you're like, oh okay, this is really not all that bad. Kind of the whole nothing holds up under scrutiny. You know, you spend enough time looking at it, digging, nothing holds up really mm. to, to what goes on in the head. Well, it's all linked, isn't it? Because like the shame is very real. I remember when I stopped drinking, I was 35, so we're talking like 10 years ago. I went through um, a real malaise where I was like, because just to set the context, Jessica, I don't believe that alcohol provides you with any value, none. So if you reach... <laughs> 35, and you've drank it for 20 years, it's been the bane in your life. You spent most of your money on it. You've, it's ruined your relationships and you, you, how you look physically and how you feel. And then you learn that there's no value, like no value. You go through a shame cycle because it's like, mm-hmm. I can't believe I was idiotic enough to fall for the trap. And so, you know, again, you need some support around you to help you to develop self-compassion, forgiveness, to develop a new philosophy that you can, mm-hmm. you can understand why you did what you did and be at peace with that. You know, so the shame, it is very real. But I think that once we can face it and say to ourselves, actually, I can do this. And that doesn't mean that because I couldn't do it before, there's something wrong with me. That bleeds out into your life in so many great positive ways. Oh yeah, I told I mean I totally agree with that. And honestly, I mean as you were talking I was thinking, well, I mean and where does that where does that whole thing where we shame ourselves and we have all this regret and we feel like all this time is lost. Where does that come from anyway? That's also part of the conditioning that got us in this situation anyway. There really isn't yeah. there is no shame. There isn't any shame really in however many years you've spent. They're not really wasted. They've brought you to where you are now and you can be deeply grateful for that. And it's not to say that it's not still in there to be, to be met with compassionately and lovingly in all those ways. Cause that's, that's the beautiful gift that comes with having that as well is that we now get to practice showing up differently for ourselves. And that, that opens the door that opens the door to a beautiful life, but we don't get anywhere with regret and shame. And we know that and we get to learn that through the process. Okay, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here now. I wonder where this one takes. <laughs> I, just had a, I just had a thought. Um, okay. So shame exists through a thought. So all thought creates life. So thought would create shame. Okay. So that kind of gives you some power because you're saying to yourself, okay, I created this thought which led to words which were I I'm a shit. I am I'm an idiot. I am. I can't believe I didn't see this, which then results in an action of drinking or, or some other self-sabotage, which then leads to your experience. And I believe that. However, not all of these thoughts are generated by me. Mm, yes. So exactly. where, are, where are we on that? What happens if a thought just manifests itself in its head that says I'm a complete waster and it's just one of those thoughts that comes up all the time through program. I didn't, didn't just create it. It just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. How do we deal with that in the context of thought equals words equals action equals creation? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, honestly, I feel like um, 
I, I agree with you. And I also feel like uh, we got to really surround all of that with so much grace and understanding that um, it doesn't mean that as soon as you have that thought, you're now creating this, this thing, right? So much of it is inherited. The, any shame, any guilt, any sense that we are bad or not enough in any way, that is not coming from us whatsoever. We inherited that from somewhere. We right. ingested that poison from somewhere in our life, usually from our early childhood, from the adults in our life who were taking that same poison who was given to them by the adults in their life. It's just passed down and passed down unconsciously. And so the fact that you can recognize, wait a minute, I'm good. I was born good. I came into the world good. I'm made of love. I come from love. And all of that is true. So anything that goes against that, any thought, any idea, any belief that is the opposite of that is not true. It is not mine. It does not belong to me. And so it can help to go back and look at family of origin. And really, a lot of us who end up having addictions or any kind of self-sabotaging behavior, we have some work to do, probably around our parents and our childhood and our upbringing. And that's beautiful work to do. And there's a certain point when asking why or where it came from isn't important anymore. It's just a matter of knowing it doesn't belong to you and releasing it without going down the rabbit hole. I had a therapist one time who would always say, don't get on the train. Just don't get on the train. Yeah, Just sit on the okay. station. Don't get on the train. You know where that tra- you, yeah, you know where that train is going. It is literally headed for a cliff and you're going to go off that cliff. And you're going to explode in the end or like, don't go down the rabbit hole. It is a trap. Like you can stand by the hole. You can look into the hole. You can know the hole is there. Don't go down that path. So when the thought comes up, don't follow it. Hmm. Doesn't mean don't get rid of it. It doesn't don't follow mean, the white rabbit. Don't follow the white rabbit. It doesn't mean like, you know, it's there. We all have that. It's there. But the, the more you practice and again, and that is the practice of self-control. So as you practice self-control around thoughts, you find that you, or you practice self-control around alcohol, even self-control around anything, you find that you now have more capacity and more ability to exercise that that same thing with your thoughts and with anything else. So it's not to get rid of it, but mm. just to know it's not yours. So you have to adopt the belief that you're good. I like be- the way you said it's not to get rid of it because if you lead with that mindset, you're going to be you're going to be full of crushing disappointment because you can't get rid of it. So the goal needs to switch to I need to learn to live with it. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, not make it a battle. Yeah, yeah. I um there's something that Sam Harris said that really stuck to me that really helped me with this whole thought thing was um this like while you're meditating, there's a thought, and then it's like, okay, find it. Where did it come from? Where can you find it? Where did it come from in your mind? Go searching for it. Like, so not getting on the train, but where did the thought come from? Not believe in it, but where did it come from? And every time I look for where that thought came from, if thought disappears, I can't find <laughs> exactly. it. I yes, can't find exactly. It. Exactly. That reminds me of one of my favorite, this thing, this trips me out every time, but I love it. So if you're like really getting stuck in your head to, um, to say to yourself, speak, I am listening because you can't speak and listen at the same time. It brings your total mind. You're just like this, like, like all the gears just start, like come to a grinding halt, speak. I am listening. 
I like that. Right. It's the same as going and searching for that thought because it doesn't have an it doesn't have an original origin point. It's you can't again, it doesn't hold up under scrutiny. As soon as you go searching yes. for it, it's not there. Yeah. I like so, that. I mean, yeah. I I because we when I was stuck in the matrix, I spent no time thinking about thinking. <laughs> no, it's just happening to you. Even even now, like 10 years into this kind of growth process, I would say. So I would say like I really started to put some um, forward thinking momentum and some conscious thinking into my evolution. 10 years, you know, like I I just recently listened to a a guided meditation by Locke Kelly, I think his, his name was. And he was he was saying to me, where are you? Where are you now? Where is me? Where is Lee? And I realized that I was here. Like I'm always here. And then, and then it is, he said, that's your self-center, right? And I was like, oh my God, this is where my self-centeredness comes from. Hmm. Because I'm always hmm. making my decisions from here and those decisions are always about me. And hmm. then he was like, like he yeah, went for a practice that moved me from there to my heart. And then I was kind of like, oh, and then kind of making decisions from a different place made me feel a lot kind of like, I don't know what the word is, like I, a lot with it, a lot more present. Well, yeah, really. I mean, when you think about that selfishness, self-centeredness, I, you know, I think about even growing up, uh, my childhood or any, anyone around. I mean, this is really common for most of us. That's the example that was given to us is most everyone around us, again, and this is where we can talk about boundaries a little bit. It's where basically we have learned from a young age that the people around us, that, that what's going on with them is really more important than what's going on with us. And that makes it seem like we're not being, like that's about other people, right? But often we do what other people want us to do and we cave under that pressure and the manipulation or the lack of poor balance. You put your codependency, whatever it is. We do that because that's about us, because we don't want conflict, because we don't want to lose loss of connection. And then all of our motives become about us about surviving, about making sure that all of our needs are met and we lose sight of everything around us Mm. because we're surviving and that's what we were taught. And that's, that's what, does that make sense? Oh yeah. Um, in terms of, of even codependency and people pleasing and not having any boundaries, it can really look like it's about other people. And really that's so much about protecting ourselves or like not being honest or telling white lies, you know, in mm. order to protect other people. That's not to protect other people. That's to protect ourselves. And that can be completely stripped away as soon as you just start being honest. That's, that's why I think it's really great to have. That's why I subscribe to the theory now that I'm going to have a coach until the day that I die, one that I can <laughs> trust. Because very often you're going to need somebody to say to you, do you believe that you took 100% responsibility in that situation and then deal with your defensiveness and your justifications and get you mm-hmm. to think harder and harder and harder until mm-hmm. you're like, holy shit, that was about me. Yeah, because everything we can trace back to some kind of root, kind of not a failing or failing in the good sense of, yeah, I didn't step up into my true power or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And linked to that and linking back to what we were talking on earlier on around, you know, the internal dialogue and the societal conditioning. I'm going to give you an example that happened this morning um, and how I dealt with it. And hopefully it can help people and you can um, give your expert opinion on it as well. So last night, me and my wife had a, a conversation about our vision, you know, like what is our vision of our future? And the reason that conversation was important 
is we both have dreams and goals um, separately as individuals in terms of what we want to achieve in terms of health and wellness, but most importantly around business. So my wife has business goals. I have business goals. But, but where I am at the moment is a little bit ad, ad, more advanced in terms of money coming in, right? So I was really busy for the next two weeks because I'm going to do a four, four-day week. So I said to Liza, like, I really need us to look into that vision because I really need you to look at Zia for the next two weeks for me so I could just 100% focus on work. And we had a conversation about that. And then this morning when I woke up and I said, good morning, how's it going? And she didn't say, good morning, how's it going? I created a story in my head that I was selfish and that I felt guilty and that I was doing something wrong and I was taking something away from her. And the way that I dealt with that is my phone went off. So it's been going off seven times a day, every two hours. My phone went off. And that's a a trigger for me to go, what's going on for me right now? And that was going on for me. So then I said to myself, what is it about? That's about approval. I need her approval that what I'm doing right now is okay. And then I said to myself, do you approve of yourself? Mm-hmm. And I shouted at the top of my lungs with the best upbeat energy I could. I approve of myself. I approve of myself. I completely approve of myself. Yes. And all of a sudden it was like, do not make this about you, Lee. You approve of yourself. Your wife is going through something. Support her as she goes through it. This is not about you. This yes. is about her. Yes. I wanted to share that because I was really proud of myself. Yes, I think that's amazing. I love that. I love that. That's and it's so. That's exactly what it looks like uh, to practice to be to be present, to be self-aware is in, in those moments and to be aware of what comes up for you and everything. I love that. I love that. So how, then how were you present for her? How was I present for her? Um, well, I actually wasn't, sorry, I got some learning. <laughs> I actually wasn't present for her, but cause I kept on working, mm. you know, cause I was just, I was working while this was going on and Lisa was doing her thing. Um, what I, what I did do though, was I prevented, mm-hmm a line of inquiry that went something like this, what's the matter with you? It's about last night, isn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I prevented that from happening. And what I've yeah. seen as the days got on, I've watched her play around with my daughter and I can see her energy shifting and changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been just exuding really positive energy. And then tonight, if we get the opportunity, then I'll have a discussion and say, hey, how did the day go today? But I, I don't feel like I have to step up and, yes. and, and help her out. She's, she's got it licked. You know? Yeah. Well, that would almost be like listening to the voice in a lot of ways is um, I do find that what we believe about ourselves and how we show up for ourselves and that you kind of rerouting in that way and, and choosing where you're going to go. Wait a minute. I approve of myself. I'm good. This is okay. I don't need approval. All that stuff. When you show up with that energy, people just sort of really uh, kind of mold around it when you show up and you're, even if you have some guilty energy at, Oh God, are you okay today? Or, you know, is everything all right? Just sort of that tone alone will cause the other person to be like, Oh, I don't know. Are we okay? Is this all right? But when you're like, yeah, Hey, yeah. how are you? How was your day? Right. It's much more, uh, just, it's, it's not implying anything. It's not implying that anything is bad. So we constantly imply that things are not okay by the way we're showing up because we don't feel okay. Oh my God. I used to date a guy who would be like all the time. Are you okay? Are you okay? Is this, you know, and I'm like, Oh my God, like, are you okay? (laughs) It does feel really slight, really slimy boy energy. Right. Like, um, almost almost like, like, um, 
almost like the the mam the mama's boy immature mm-hmm. masculine shadow that's in the you know yeah. like a, the the masculinity it just feels like that. a way to not be responsible for you know to not yeah. to not say that you're not okay by trying to get someone else to say they're not okay means that that you don't have to be responsible for Bingo. you so if, you know i think we do it with arguments too if we can bait someone else into to yelling and screaming so that we don't have to yell and scream then we can go oh you're the problem right so it's it's amazing how, but we have all these tiny little things inside of us that, that kind of show up that way. And we don't even realize it until we start looking within and we go, wait, I'm doing this. You know, it's, it all comes back to me. And that's comes back to what we were talking about. (laughs) Well, that, that one is really important. I, I've been there, you know, I just said it's slimy. I've been there and I've been there recently and it's still a part of me, right. Mm -hmm. Is feeling really uncomfortable because mm-hmm. I know I'm assuming that somebody is uncomfortable because of something that I'm doing mm-hmm. and then saying, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Instead of saying, I'm really not okay right now. And I want to explore why that is not, I'm really not okay with your be- because of your behavior. It's right. more like your behavior is triggering in something in me that I need to look at. I need to look at. Yes. Yes. And, and that's exactly. why people don't want to go there because they don't want to look at it. No, no. I mean, but then again, it's like that elevator, right? Mm. Why not? I mean, mm. what do you think you're going to find there? You're just going to find a really, actually a really good person who's full of love, who's been ignored and who hasn't been asked any deep or important questions and hasn't been taken care of in any way. I mean, that's why we look to other people to make sure that we feel okay. Again, it's that people pleasing that codependency thing where we're we're really not okay, but we don't feel like we're allowed to say it probably because when we were kids, we weren't allowed to say we're not okay because we'd get shamed or mm. told to buck up or to get over it or whatever it is. So we learn that not being okay isn't okay. Mm. And so then if we can sort of project that onto someone else, if they cannot be okay in some way, uh, and we don't have to be responsible for it. But really, it's like there's nothing really there to be afraid of, ultimately. We just don't know because we've never gone there, but we have to give ourselves a chance to go there. I think there's this two layers to it. Is that we don't know because we've never gone there, and we don't know because we don't know there exists. So what I yeah. mean by, what I mean by <laughs> that totally. is the reason, yeah. these, the reason these conversations are so amazing, mm-hmm. and if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I can't stop drinking alcohol because I, I'm never going to have any fun, right? I'm never going to have any fun. No one's going to ever talk to me. Right, you don't have to go to the pub to have fun. Just get over to someone like Jessica and speak to her for an hour about this kind of stuff. We're having a laugh. Uh, mm-hmm. We're getting deep. We're, we're we're learning stuff. I mean, this is what life's about. This is what connections about, right? So, people listening to this conversation will start to go, "Oh, wow!" Some light bulb will come on. Like, hopefully. Um, but if you're not listening to these conversations, like I wasn't when I was drinking, you really don't know what the heck is going on. So you're never going to say to yourself in your mm-hmm. head, you need to look at this yourself. You're just going to blame the other person. Please, yeah. please, please stop what you're doing. That's all you'll know. Yeah. And if someone comes along and dares to say to you, look, buddy, you, you've got a problem. You'll be like, I ain't got a problem. She's got a problem. And do you know what happens? It's the worst thing. We surround ourselves with people who are the same. So mm-hmm. they are ashamed of confronting you and telling you that you're different. So they support you. So you really, really think that you're right in that person changing. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. No, it really is. And you're right. Like you don't know what you don't know. And then you yeah. don't know what it is that you don't know. It's like, it, but 
for all of, for anybody who's on the journey of, of awakening to themselves, of, of growing in any kind of self-awareness, we all have that moment. I don't know if you do, but I know I have multiple moments throughout my life when I didn't even realize I was ready and open to receive a message that maybe had been coming for me like for years and most of my life. But someone said that thing and I go, whoa, I've never heard that. That just blew my mind apart and also resonates so deeply that it's completely life-changing. So I think that that's, that's part of it, right? Is if you're listening to this at all, then you probably had that moment on some level. And maybe this conversation is giving you some of them, those moments because they're available to us all the time. Right. Yes. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's allowing that it's just receiving that and also not beating yourself up for not being where it is you would like to be for still being reactive for still having your shit come up for still, doing the blaming or the avoiding or whatever it is, again, that's where the self-compassion, the grace comes in because it doesn't do any good, any good for anybody ever to to then beat yourself up for for not doing it perfectly. No, no, not at all. Have you ever read um, Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh? Uh, no, but pretty much everyone I know has read it. <laughs> oh my God. All right, folks, this one's going to blow your mind, right? Well, I blew my mind anyway. But the context is Neil Donald Walsh honestly believes he had a conversation with God. And he wrote this conversation down in his book. And one of the, one of the questions Neil asked God was, God, like, you know, why aren't you helping me reach my potential? Like, why is it so difficult for me to reach my potential? And God said to him, dude, like, I've been giving you signs from the moment you were born. Mm-hmm. There are signs everywhere. I'm fed mm-hmm. up. I've given you these signs. They're all in front of you, but mm-hmm. you choose not to look at them. So ever since I read that, it blew my mind, right? So when I pray, yes, ladies and gentlemen, I've started to pray. When I pray, I say, God, thank you for showing me the signs. I can see them. They're lighting up in my life and keep them coming because I'm going to keep following them, right? Yes. I think that's what you're talking about. It's almost like... Mm-hmm. We think of the perfect storm. So when I read Alan Carr's Easy Way to Control Alcohol, I stopped drinking. It was the perfect time for me. The signs were there and I was ready to take them on. Whereas my mother read the same book and the the signs weren't there. She could, they were there, but she couldn't see them. She wasn't Mm -hmm. ready. She didn't stop drinking. That's the type of thing you're talking about, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And And what I love about that is that in this conversation with God, because I pray too, uh, uh, God never, it's it's never not there. It's never, never not there. There's never, it's not like if you didn't get it for a million times that it's suddenly not going to be there for the millionth and one time. Like it's, it's always there. The signs are always there. It's like all of life, all of life wants wants to love you and and see you you well and happy and and engaged life wants to live through you it is constantly begging to live through you and in you and it never stops mm. it never stops desiring you life desires you and so that's why it's always there the signs are always always there and so i love the prayer of asking for them i have a similar thing i my prayer constantly is show me show me how easy it can be, prove it to me, like show me, <laughs> you know, 
show yeah, me. I yeah. know I, I know that my mind can only imagine so much. It can only go, you know, it can really only because uh, my mind is limited, right? In the sea of of endless possibilities of all the things I can't imagine. Yeah. Show and me. People listening to this, you've been listening to my podcast for the last seven years. You you're like, hey Lee, you're not religious, you don't believe in God. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like when I sit down and pray, I'm not concerned about who's listening. I'm really not. I'm not like Neil Donald Walsh think I'm having a conversation with God. I'm praying because I believe in the power of prayer scientifically. You know, there's a great book by Larry Dossie, actually, uh, that does a lot of research on the power of prayer. And it, I am a great student at the moment is do what works. Yeah. So if I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask for good shit to happen and good shit keeps happening. I'm going to keep praying. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. I know. I've been thinking about prayer too. So I grew up uh, in a kind of a weird home, but uh, re- you know, there was religion in a part of that. And so prayer was a huge part of, of my growing up praying in church and my parents were praying. We prayed at every meal, just grew up with a lot of prayer. And then when I grew up and realized I don't really believe all that stuff and I stopped going to church, I was really like, oh, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to pray. Yeah. But then I had this realization that, I still pray all the time. And it's not necessarily to that God that I learned about in church that's that's waiting to rain down uh, judgment or, you know, who giveth and taketh away and all of that. In so many ways, it feels like I'm praying to myself. Mm. I'm praying to something. I'm praying to something that I believe in. And I'm a lot of times just praying to and speaking my desires. And the more that I pray, the more I just feel that growing within me, the more that I feel, I mean, I think that's some of what, you know, when people talk about manifestation and I just, I've been thinking about this thing so much and I've been really wanting it. And then I ran into somebody and they just had this thing. Our thoughts are prayer, Mm, right? Um, Everything that we say is prayer. I had someone say to me when I was kind of going through my church conflict of leaving church and, and whatever they said to me, uh, it's not so much, um, that you have to gather together and hold hands and bow your heads and close your eyes and pray. Having any conversation with any person is prayer. This conversation right here is prayer. Mm -hmm. If you are listening and it resonates with you and desire is sparked within you, that's prayer. That's like, that's what it is. Again, it's another way of um, changing your perspective. That's like so, so important. You just, like, if you want to, like, be an addiction, you've got to learn to change your perspective, like I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is this perspective that drinking alcohol is normal and pleasurable. Oh, there's this other perspective that if I apply, if I shift the faith that I had in that perspective to this perspective, mm-hmm. that perspective dies because it has no faith attached to it. This one grows in strength because I now apply my faith into it. And then, yes. you know, one way of doing that is jumping on the 1,000 day sober experience. And for mm-hmm. 1,000 days, hear me saying, alcoholism is an invisible violent dominant belief system. Alcoholism. And then eventually, you know, you're yes. like, yeah, but really believe this guy. Mm-hmm. Really believe this is true. And you get yes. more. Yeah. And it just, that's how it goes. You know, it's, it's, it's where you get to now choose your programming. Yeah. You know, when we're young, we had all this programming and we're just little sponges and we take it in and we're like, oh, now you have this mess of a life, you know, and you weren't conscious. Mm. And now you get to consciously choose. You're already believing all kinds of things anyway. And this is now where you have the power of choice. You get to choose what you believe. You get to choose, you know, where you put your faith. You have mm. faith in things. You have belief in things like already. That. So now you get to choose. And another good thing that's been said to me over the years is, if you are willing to go to, to give a bunch of time and thought and energy to this list of all the bad things that could happen, 
all the bad, all the negative, this is how all the things that could go wrong and the worry and then this and that, then you must also give equal diligence to all the things that could go right. How could you not in an endless in a world of endless possibilities, if you can attain, entertain the endless possibilities of everything that could go wrong, endless possibilities of things that could go right also exists. So starting that practice of, of also engaging with endless possibilities for positive outcome, mm. because we already know what it is to engage with all the negative outcome in terms of belief and engaging. So this other way, and again, it can be kind of uncomfortable because it's new and we're not used to it, but huge, huge power in that. Or, or we think it's new until a guide mm-hmm. remind, rem, gets you to dig back and remind you True. of all, all the mastery experiences you've had. So mm-hmm. for me, point. going through a divorce, you know, you read about it being so horrific. It is horrific. But then you think, I got divorced. And then because I got divorced, I had a child, which I would never have ever had under any circumstances had I stayed in that relationship. And I would never have fallen in love with my wife that I have now and built this company. Mm-hmm. Like as a result of that absolute horrific pain and suffering that, yes. that affected so many people. Yes. Right. And yes. we as human beings are able to deal with anything like that. That And that is nothing. You, you read something like a, uh, Victor Frankl, you know? Mm-hmm. And oh my God. I have that book sitting you got right it. here. Ah, see? <laughs> see, there's a sign. So, you know, there's a, there's, there's a part in the book where uh, Frankl's saying there's this photograph in uh, con- the, one of the concentration camps of people piled on top of people. Mm-hmm. And they look, it, I think, I can't remember it completely, but it was like the, the commentary was that they, they look so miserable. And mm-hmm. he was like, no, 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 we were so, we were so happy because we were, I can't remember it was, we were so warm and we were just about to get fed. Yeah. Yes, was, exactly. Again, yeah. it's perception again mm-hmm. and understanding that joy can come out of great devastation no matter where it is or what's happening to you, you know? And yeah, and so much of that, I mean, that's his whole main point in the book is that we always have a choice. I mean, mm-hmm. and I love that this, uh, he was in a concentration camp and he's able to say, this, it really wasn't the strongest in body of us that survived. It was those who were strongest in mind. Mm. So again, um, that's where it comes back to, let's not try to get out of our mind. Let's try to just be strong of mind. Let's be aware that we have power over our minds. We have choice in that. And that's kind of his whole point is you get to choose your experience in any given moment, no matter what is happening around you. I like the yeah. fact you had that book. That's so funny. All right. <laughs> we, we did... We did say we was going to talk about boundaries. Yeah, we did. That's we okay. Did. So let's talk, let's talk about boundaries. Um, okay. What are boundaries? Oh, ba- what are boundaries? That's the biggest. <laughs> What's so funny is I talk about boundaries all the time and no one ever says like, what are boundaries? Um, boundaries are the way that you communicate your value to other people. And you don't have to necessarily feel your value and your worth to communicate boundaries. I feel like they sometimes go hand in hand. As you begin to practice boundaries, you begin to feel a little stronger in who you are and in your worth and in your value. They really do communicate to other people how you want to be treated as well. That would be the, that would be the short, that would be the, the short truncated version. What does it mean if you don't have boundaries? Mm, what's it mean Talking from personal experience. Okay. So boundaries, again, boundaries is a word that, um, okay, let me just go with, let's go straight into a metaphor. How's this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this metaphor. I think this gives the perfect picture of boundaries. 
So imagine that you have a house. I like to call it the heart house. And out in front of this house, you have a, a, a garden area. And around this garden and around your heart house, you have a fence. And it's a picket fence. It's a low fence. It's a fence that like comes up to the hips or the waist. Like you can converse over this fence with your neighbors. It's not a wall. It's not a fortress, right? So just picture this. It could be any kind of house, garden, fence. And it's your, your job, it's your responsibility to caretake for this garden and keep this fence in good repair. And it is completely up to you who enters through the gate into your garden. And you can have sort of layers of your garden. So you have sort of your outer garden, a little, you know, four layers into your garden before you get to your house, which is maybe at the center of the garden. And you, ha- you can decide what is required in order for someone to come through the, through the fence. For me, a basic level of kindness and respect is required for someone to be able to even come into my sphere, into my, if there's no respect there, you don't get to come into my space. And then so on and so forth. Maybe there's empathy in there, there's love, there's mutual blah, blah, blah. Okay. So that's, that's like the metaphor, right? So mm-hmm. someone who doesn't have very good boundaries is somebody who is like not tending to their own garden. Their whole garden's in disrepair. Their fence is falling down. They're not even sleeping and living in their own, the own house of their heart, but they are over making someone else's garden look better and greener and taking Mm -hmm. care of someone else's property and trying to, and feeling really, really good about it because look at how beautiful this garden is that's not theirs. Okay, I can see that. That's how I see people who don't have boundaries are typically so invested in making everything good for everybody else. Again, that sort of that desire for everyone around them to be happy and thriving and well and sleeping in their beds and and all of that. And their their whole garden is in disrepair. They're not caring for themselves in any way. That's typically... That would be the like the extreme version of not taking care of your your garden. And you might tend to your garden a little bit, but you might have some kind of pushy neighbors that like want to just come barging in through your fence and then you feel bad and you don't really want to say no because they might get upset and blah, blah, blah. There's just like so many things that go into that. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. I mean, for somebody who has had the accusation thrown at me quite rightly that I don't have boundaries and I don't respect boundaries and and listening to your metaphor, Mm -hmm. I think what is going on in those times, and I'm obviously healing this at the moment. I I know I am through the work that I'm doing. I can feel it as I'm talking to you is I am my people pleasing archetype is taking over and my ego is showing up and the fixer is showing up. So I, mm-hmm. I want to be in other people's business, helping them because that shows, that gives me external validation that I'm a decent human being through that feedback. And then because I'm in other people's business, you could argue that mm-hmm. having this podcast, I'm in other people's business and, and <laughs> what I do with 1000 Days Sober, um, it's really important that whilst I am helping people with permission that I am really tending my own shit because who wants to be in a relationship with somebody who lives in a 
dilapidated house with it's dog true. shit all over the garden, right? <laughs> true. No, it's so true. It's really, really true. And even though it could be nice, and that's another thing too, another layers. Um, you talked earlier on about back when you don't know what you don't know and you are surrounding yourself with people who are just like you. Mm. Another a part of reason, a part of the reason why people don't have boundaries is because we were never taught boundaries. We were raised to tend to other people's shit to yeah. fix their stuff to we like demanding it of us. So when you start pra- like practicing boundaries and you say, you know what, I'm going to stop working on your garden and I'm going to actually go back to my place and start cleaning up all that dog shit and repair my fence and start planning some things. That person who's gotten used to you doing all their home repairs and their garden repairs and keeping their fence in repair, right? They're not going to like it. They're Mm. very invested in you not having any boundaries because Mm. they don't have to do any work of their own. Mm. Does that make sense? Is the the only caveat if the person, I'm just thinking of my wife. So my wife is, she's pretty switched on with these type of things. So I imagine she would be like, yeah, good. Get the fuck over into your own garden. I'm always telling you to stop overstepping my boundaries. And that's where you know you're surrounded by someone good right? Someone, I mean, someone who's good for you, someone who cares about you. She's she's my teacher. She cares. Yeah, She cares about you. She has your best interests at heart and you know what it's in. She knows she cares about herself. She knows that it's in her best interest for you to tend to your own garden, your own self. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, when we are trying to fix someone else, we are sending them the, like the unspoken message that we don't believe they're capable of taking care of themselves. Wow. That's a big one. Say that one again. When we are trying to fix everyone else's shit and we're all up in their business, it's a subliminal message that we don't believe they can take care of themselves. We which, don't trust that. Right, which I was going to say bleeds into trust, security, and respect. I don't respect or trust you enough. So it's, exactly. it's, it's allowing them to slip into their victim archetype. And it's, and it's really because you don't trust or respect yourself enough. It's really a projection. And honestly, I thing that I like to tell people the most about boundaries is boundaries. When you have healthy, compassionate boundaries, what you are doing is you are showing up with trust and safety in your relationships. People with boundaries are the most trustworthy and safe people to have in your life. People pleasers are the least trustworthy people you will ever, ever meet. They are more untrustworthy than the honest person who rips you off. Yeah. Cause this there's a hidden agenda there. I guess the even worse people pleaser is the is the unconscious people pleaser. <laughs> so, so they don't even know they're doing it. So the yeah. the insidious passive aggressive nature of it and the defense and judgment, which then can make people, yeah. people think that they're going a little bit wacky. Like I've I've had that in my energy in both my relationships, yeah. where my my wives have given me feedback and said there were times I thought I was going insane. Because mm. you were so dominant and aggressive in your judgment and do your need to be right that I started mm. to think, is he right? And started to lose myself. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And that came from your, you think that came from people pleasing? That comes from a couple of things. It comes from the blueprint that I got off my father on what it means to be a man. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize this until just recently, but my dad was never physically violent but he was always verbally, I wouldn't even say abusive, but he was just, he just was just a miserable fucker. Mm-hmm. And he would just say no, everything for no reason. And he would just mm-hmm. want kids out of the way. And 
And everything was done for him. So he would walk in the house and his dinner was there. His bath was made for him. Like the guy didn't have to do anything. And I, and I think when I went into my relationships, and then if he got into a row with my mom, he's physically bigger than her. She's already lost some of her power by slipping into the mother matriarch role. Now, I know, I know like Bernadette G was been a guest on the show, right? And Bernadette G was, she's um, an author and marketing expert. And Bernadette said she took time off to look after her kids and they were the most amazing, beautiful, soul-enriching experiences of her life, right? I'm not putting my mom in that category. So I'm saying you can have those experiences, Mm -hmm. but in my experience of looking at my mom, it was like, are you fucking kidding me? I got to look after these four kids without any support and without any money, right? And not being emotionally able to cope. So then you start to lose your power. At the same time, this guy who's a guy and he's getting everything done for him, He's growing in power. So then when you get into uh, an argument or debate or something, he uses his voice to shout at you and to put you down. And then you don't fight back because you can't fight back with this guy because he's unreasonable. That followed me into my relationships. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I have a different story, but very, very, very similar where, and if we're talking about boundaries and how, and how we're showing up, I grew up in a home where I had a, an abusive step parent. Mostly he was abusive towards my mother um, and then verbally abusive and and angry. And there's just this walking on eggshells and this fear in the house Mm. at all times. And um, my mom, everyone's just like, oh, she's so sweet. She's so, I mean, I love my mom. I love my mom. She is sweet. And um, something that went on in our household was Okay, but we're not going to tell your dad. We're going to do this, but we're not going to tell him. Yeah, I used to have that. You know, like um, a lot of sneaking and a lot of lying, like so much lying. That's where I learned to lie at a really young age, became a very, very good liar. And that's why honesty is so important to me now, Mm. but there were no, there were no boundaries. There was no, there was always someone either in your space or coming into your space, telling you what was wrong with you, telling, you know, that upset, that like that angry, just projecting. Right. And then even, um, you know, with my mom being like, oh, well, let's just, let's just do this to make sure that he's okay. Like it was all about not upsetting not upsetting this this big angry man in the house, this big baby. Mm. <laughs> you know, no, no, big do you know baby. you just hit the nail on the head? He's not yeah. a man. He's not a man. He's a wounded little boy. Yeah, exactly. And he is. And I know some of his story. And I've wept and cried with with grief around around the fact that that's never been really healed for him because it's um it's it's really awful. He's been through some terrible shit. But it doesn't mean. It's okay. And so I grew up not really knowing and then showing up in my relationships, um, being passive aggressive and lying and being manipulative and codependent and people pleasing. And then also being like uh, really blaming and and resentful and all the things like really similar to what you're saying. And a lot of that just came from not learning what it meant to be respected, to have my boundaries, my autonomy, my individuality experience like just respected growing up. I was, I was another pawn, another tool, uh, another nuisance or, um, another outlet depending on the spontaneous whimsical, you know, ever changing moods of the household and of the family. And so learning boundaries is huge because it actually gives you a stable point from which to operate from. Your metaphor really helps, actually. Mm-hmm. People, people list, listening to this, folks, the metaphor helps. So as Jessica was talking then, I was picturing, I should have probably been listening, but I was, pict- <laughs> I was picturing, a, I was picturing my, my house. And I was thinking mm-hmm. to myself, 
what would I do if somebody leaned over my picket fence and shouted in a megaphone? Yeah. We'd probably call the police, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so if you use that metaphor, you can go, oh, wow, my, I'm so, I can't do that. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't accept that in my life. Mm-hmm. Where's my, where's my, where's my personal boundaries here? Right. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't accept that in my house. So why would I go in someone else's house and do it? So I, I think that metaphor really helps. The other thing that came up when you was talking there is I have a program called who am I? It's a 15 week self-discovery program for people who want to learn who they are because they're just getting out of the matrix or they're still stuck in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I get them to do is I, I, I say to them, describe your bedroom or is your bedroom like, you know, and part of the reason I want to do that is I believe that one of our first manifestations of boundary making is mm. our bedroom. Yeah. Like that's the first time we, I want to lock on my door. Why? Because you want boundaries. You mm-hmm. might not be, you might not have the mental capacity to figure out how to, to put them up internally, but yeah, I can stick a lock on my door and mom, dad, you ain't coming in. That's your first boundary. Probably. Yeah, totally. Going up. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a wonderful way to start. And I think about that with the even the heart house. I think in the original sort of boundaries analogies, there wasn't necessarily a, heart, a house, but I always add the heart house to it because once someone is able to come through your fence with respect and empathy and kindness and whatever your layers to that garden are, and then they are welcomed up onto your porch and you can serve them lemonade or tea or cookies or whatever that is, yeah. then they come into your house. You know, what's what's at the center of your house? You know, the bedroom is, I think, the most intimate part of a house. Whenever someone gives me a house tour, we usually go into every room, but most people don't take you into the bedroom. They're like, that's the bedroom. You know what I mean? You don't just go in people's bedrooms. Um, and then, you know, the living room is one thing, the dining room is another, the kitchen is another beautiful place where we get to, you know, share and, and connect and a heart space. The bathroom is another private spot (laughs) within the heart house, uh, where we get to do our dirty business. Right. And that's our business. Um, it's funny you said dirty business. I was thinking nudity. I was like, is there a connection (laughs) of nudity here? Like, but what you're talking about is taboos, right? Yeah. I trust you enough to mm -hmm. break, break taboo with you. You yeah, can, totally. You can like, watch I'll, me poo. I'll, pee, I'll pee in front of you. I'll poo yeah, in front can, of you. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah exactly. Um, or yeah, this is the place. This is the place where you do. You let it all hang out, and the bedroom is the you know a similar mm. place. So it's I. You can build on this metaphor, and what I love about it is, I think I added that heart our heart house based on someone else giving me the garden metaphor, right? Mm. So you take it and you make it your own. And it's true. You wouldn't let just you wouldn't just let someone come in and barge through your gate or whatever. But you need to have a gate to begin with. So um, really, just tending to what it to you, and that's what this whole conversation has been about. Really, ultimately, the whole time, right, is us tending to us so that we can be present and available to other people. You need to start with a gate. I like start that quote. Gate. I like writing these little quotes. You need oh, to start nice. with a gate. You need to start with a gate. Um, nice. Okay, so what am I thinking about now? I won't keep you much longer because I know you're very busy. But I was thinking to myself, how do we communicate our boundaries to somebody who is mm. clueless about boundaries? Mm. That's really good. This is one of my favorite questions. So hmm, a lot of times when people are clueless about boundaries, it's good. To, it's good for you to know that because just just recognizing that they have no clue and this might be the first time that that somebody is is being this clear and this direct with them 
but really keeping it very, very simple when you're communicating boundaries. It does not need to be as complex as we make it out to be. Say the true thing and keep it clear and concise. A, a really basic example that a lot of people struggle with is uh, say, just saying yes to obligations that they don't really want to do, whether that's going to the party, whether that's volunteering, whether it's helping out with this, that, or the other. Struggling to actually just say, that doesn't work for me. Mm. Not at this time. I have to think about that and get back to you, right? These are really, really basic and simple. And then when the person's like, oh, come on, it's not going to take that much time. It'll just be really quick. And, nah, nah, nah. and then I'll take you out to lunch. And right. And they're trying to like get you to do it because they're not used to that or that usually works for them. That's how they get what they want is by trying to come over your fence and drag you, drag you into what it is that they need and want. That's when you use your cocktail line. A friend of mine calls it a broken record. I like cocktail line a lot better. It's classier. (laughs) Uh, Where you just, that same statement you gave them, that's really not going to work for me. That's really not going to work for me. That's really not going to work. Every time they try to get you back in. And a lot of times people don't actually try that hard. It's just we build up in our head that this is going to be a really hard thing to do. So the cocktail and keeping it clear and simple, yeah. no ex- no explanation. Do not explain that. yourself. Do not apologize. Do not apologize. Do not apologize because there's nothing wrong with having boundaries. So it's really, really just saying the true thing. And that's another part of it is, you know, I'm not going to come to the party tonight because I really need to stay home and rest right? I'm not sick. There's not another emergency happening anywhere else. The dog isn't, you know, didn't eat something it shouldn't, which is all the lies that so many people tell, right? Say the true thing. And they might be disappointed. Know that other people are going to be disappointed and it's okay for other people to be disappointed. Do you know what just come up for me then? I remember when I worked on the railway, worked on the railway for 20 years, by the way, Jess, you probably don't know. Nice. No, I didn't know that. And, um, I was away at a, some managerial retreat or something. And my boss said, the boss wants to speak to you. He's in the ballroom. And I walked in the ballroom and there was just one table right in a corner. And I walked all the way over there like a little boy. I sat down and he was with his notepad and stuff. He didn't even look at me, right? He must have been for five minutes, but it felt like an eternity. And then he stopped and he looked at me and he said, honestly, how uncomfortable was that for you? And I was like, <laughs> so uncomfortable. And he was like, that's your problem. Mm. That's your problem. And then he just got back on his paper again. And I said, do you want me to go? He's like, yeah. Amazing. Right. <laughs> and, and then, so I just left and then, and then my boss was like, what did he say to you? And I told him, and my boss was confused later on. It was a really good thing that you wanted me to do, but he was, he was making a point that lady, if you want to evolve, you want to grow. If I want you in my team, that's going to lead this company You've got to stop talking. You've got to stop fixing. You've got to start learning uncomfortable silences. And when you said that you would, you would say, um, that doesn't work for me, I felt so icky inside because I was like, oh, that's going to end with a silence. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to sit and be in that silence. So this is what come up for me, Jess, and for people yeah. listening. This is why the Strive Support Forum, for me, like our community, is so important. If you're struggling with this shit, right, and you go on Strive and you say, Lee, can you do me a favor? Do you mind if I just hop on a quick Zoom call with you? I need to go through this boundary conversation with you because I'm really uncomfortable with being in uncomfortable silences. Would you practice that with me? 
How many people honestly, hands up everyone listening, how many people honestly practice this shit? Mm. What we do is we listen to something like this. We think that's a good idea. Most of us will forget it. Some of us will put it into play. It will backfire on us and we'll give up. Practice. Yes. Yeah, that's, you made such a good point there. I'm pointing big time at you. <laughs> practice, <laughs> big, practice, practice. Big point, don't just give up. I mean, that is, that's a part of it is you can't just try one time and be like, they didn't, they didn't listen to me. They mm. didn't, uh-huh, like, bleh. that didn't work. That didn't go well, you know, and I'm using my whiny voice because that's how we all tend to be sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, keep keep doing it. Keep doing expect, it. I expect that's going to happen. It's going to happen. And right? you're going to show up and you're going to be like, I had every intention and I had it all set up and I knew exactly what I was going to say. And that didn't go at all how, how I planned, but you might show up the next time and go, okay, maybe you did 10% of what you had intended to do. And the next time it's 20%, 30% until you are really, really doing a much better job at practicing bound. It's called a practice for a reason. And I can honestly tell you, I teach on boundaries. I talk about boundaries. I am like all about the boundaries. And just this last week, I, I said yes to some things that, well, I wanted to say yes to, but I really didn't have the energy for, yeah. but I said yes to them any, anyway. And I gave my energy to them anyway. And I was exhausted. You should see me this weekend. I was mm. just, I'm not getting out of my, like I had to just completely. And I felt I felt terrible. I felt really tired. I just, I did not feel well. And I realized it's because I just said yes to too many things. And that can be part of it. There's so many things to say yes to, Mm. and you want to say yes. And some of it's just really reserving your energy levels and, and being clear on what your yeses are and what your no's are. I make very, very few commitments at this point and I still ended up having, you know, having a week like that. So it's, it's, it's just, it's a part of it. We learn from All the, the doing. Maybe it, maybe there was a, a physical element of it too, like a physical, mm-hmm. but maybe there was also a mental uh, that you didn't support your boundaries. So that, yeah. that, that can be, yeah, that can be part of it ways. too. Yeah. And a lot of the exhaustion comes from even just the mental acrobatics you have to do to give yourself permission to do the thing you don't really want to do. It's exhausting. Sometimes the thing comes up and you're like, Oh God, I don't, I don't really want to do that. And you already have this little mini experience where you're hating it. Yeah. Right. You've already used up energy, hating it or not liking it or feeling exhausted by it. And then you go and do it and you've almost used up all your energy already. (laughs) That's, that's why I left the railway. I left the railway Mm -hmm. because it was like, I'm I can't do this. I'm just wasting my time doing this, you know? Um, yeah. On the, the feedback thing, and, I, and we said, you know, we said like when it gets hard and you don't get the expectation, when your expectations are really high, oh, I just heard this uh, podcast between Jessica and Lee and I've got to get my house in order and I'm just going to go and speak to my husband mm-hmm. and just, and, and t- like that expectation thing, I'll give you an example, right? So my boy, he said to me, he had a problem with his girlfriend, right? She, she crossed some boundaries to him. So I was asking, he came to me for help. He's like, dad, I want some help with this, right? I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to help me. So I'm like, okay. So we had a conversation and I was asking him to describe the perfect woman for him that he wants in his life. So he describes it. And then I said, so does this woman fit into your um, description you just gave me? No. Mm. Oh, okay. So we, we dropped our guard there and lowered our boundary, right? And he's like, yeah, I did. Okay. And then the woman that we entered into our relationship, mm. she then crossed a boundary. So, so the universe mirrored back to us 
Yeah. Well, so we didn't want to, we didn't want to, but we entered a relationship with her. Why? Because I'm lonely, dad. All right. We entered a relationship because we're lonely. Is that respectful? No, it's not respectful. So what did we get back? We got disrespectful behavior back from somebody who shouldn't even be in our container, right? So mm-hmm. what did he do? <laughs> what did he do? He picks his phone up while I'm talking to him. I don't even know. And he messages her and says, I'm sorry, it's all my fault. Brave, bold lad. But then she texts back and goes, yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And then he says to me, do you believe I just texted her and said, it's all my fault. And she said to me, it is my fault. Can you believe the temerity of that? And I said to him, but... It is, you, you just accepted 100% responsibility, or have you? Because you haven't really, have you? You're still, <laughs> you know, you're saying the right things, but you're not really practicing it. Mm. And I, I wanted to share that because very often, if we're stuck, like if we are really stuck with this, and then we choose for the first or maybe 50th time to go and deal with this in a better way, mm-hmm. please have the expectation that it may blow back in your face. And the real work is when that happens. The yes. real work is when the person says, yes, it is all your fault. You have crossed my boundaries. You are a wanker. You are a tosser. You abuse me all my life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Your job right in that moment is to respect her boundaries, not the fucking spew over her boundaries. Yeah, that's you make a beautiful point there. Yeah, and I'll add to that. When I was really setting boundaries with my the step-parent I told you about, I was when I had my own kids and I was like, you know, this is one thing for me to be in this environment I'll be damned if I'm bringing my kids into it. So I started setting boundaries and I haven't seen him in 15 years. But when it first started, oh Lord, like you do, I mean, I don't even want to, I mean, it was intense. It was Mm. intense because this person had never had anyone set boundaries with him in his life. And it wasn't just him. The whole family got on board. Everyone was just like, come on, like all the manipulation and all the tactics and all the things about there. I mean, there was no, there was... Uh, the trying the, the the tactic of being really sweet with me, the tactic of attacking me, the tactic of trying to guilt trip manipulate me with all of these reasons why I'm bad and wrong and da, 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 how I'm ruining the family and this and that and whatever. And you know what? It was my work to recognize that they were fine. The whole family and my step parent was fine with the relationship as it was. Mm-hmm. They were benefiting. Everyone was fine. I was the one that wasn't fine. I was the one that decided to change. I was the one that decided to set boundaries. And so now it is now my 100% full responsibility to understand that I'm the one implementing this. Expecting them to just be like, oh yeah, okay, this is all cool. We're cool with this, right? Mm. Um, (laughs) Not exactly the most, I don't know, realistic way to think that it's gonna go for you. But don't let that stop you. Because now I can honestly say years later that I'm probably one of the most trustworthy people in my family and everybody knows you don't fuck with Jessica. So all the shit that everyone else gets from each other in the family, I am not a part of. I get to show up to the things I want to show up to. I get to enjoy people the way I want to enjoy them. And everybody knows like they do not pull their shit on me. Nobody pulls shit on me and it's awesome, but it took a lot of work. (laughs) Do you know what come up for me as you were saying that at the classic bully in the playground? Mm -hmm. So I was, I was a bully and a victim of bullying. Mm. But one thing my dad did teach me, which I 
did teach my son, but I, I've grown out of that. I won't teach my daughter. Is if somebody comes at you and wants a piece of you verbally, just smack them. Mm. Right? This is my dad told me, right? Mm-hmm. So someone would come into my face, don't matter how big they were, and I would smack them. Hmm. that guy wouldn't come back to bully me again. He'd go and pick on someone else who wasn't going to smack him. So it sounds almost like in creating your boundaries, you're standing up strong with your shoulders back and you're saying, because boundaries is part of that as well, right? It's like, totally. And it doesn't mean that I didn't totally fall apart and cry my eyes out and feel all the guilt and shame behind the scenes, Mm. right? It doesn't mean that them trying to guilt me and all this stuff wasn't working, I still felt all the pain of that. I still felt the loss and the disconnection and the grief and all of that. I still felt the attacks, but the way I showed up was a choice. I still got to choose to not throw it back at them, to not, uh, to not let that, that waver when it came to the stand I was making. And, um, that, you know, this is kind of a big extreme example. It's not necessarily like this with everybody, but if you really are in a situation where there's just people coming at you and you know, you need boundaries. You know, it's, it's probably really, you know, expect maybe some pushback because they're benefiting from you not having boundaries. Well, the beautiful, beautiful (laughs) thing about this podcast is a lot of the listeners will be the people who are actually the abusers. Mm. So the people who are listening to this will be abusing people and overstepping Mm -hmm. people's boundaries. So Mm. think about that as well, about when you recognize the signs of somebody putting in, boundaries like try to do what you can to respect it mm. if you can't catch it in the moment at the very yeah. least catch it afterwards and then go back and and own your shit you know i think yeah that's super important last yeah, thing it I, is yeah last thing i want to ask you before you go and, I, and i'm assuming it's the same way as what you said about how to enforce boundaries and um, what about consequences so you know mm. if you can't just keep letting somebody Cross our, cross our white picket fence. How do we explain consequences? Is it the same in a very simple and concise way? Yeah, it I really is. It's, it's really so, you know, stating the boundary, uh, clear, concise, truthfully, no explanation, no apology, just keeping it really, really simple and clear, something you can repeat over and over again if you need to. Hmm. And as you repeat that over and over again, if they're not getting it and they're, you know, saying, oh, but da-da-da, and, you know, using all the tactics, right? And you're saying your cocktail line, this and that. Eventually, if it gets really nasty, if they're really not being cool, know that you can always leave. Mm-hmm. Like you can always walk away. And like you can give a warning if you continue to talk to me like that, I'm going to walk away. If you continue to talk to me like that, I'm going to hang up the phone. If you continue to talk to me like that, I'm not coming. If you continue to talk to me like that, this, right? And then the really, really important thing is to actually follow through on that. Because just like with children, it's the same with children. It's like, you can say no and no and no and no. And then you say yes that one time. And now they're like, oh, we can get her to say yes. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's really just a matter of really being consistent and persistent. And I know this doesn't always apply. Like if, when I say, oh, you can just leave. Maybe you live with somebody who's constantly crossing your boundaries. You can, you can say, I'm walking away from this conversation. I'm going to go, you know, um, you can, you always have the choice to walk away and you always have the choice to leave. Hopefully, if you don't have a choice to leave, we should be calling a number for you, I think, but walk away, cut off the disconnection because that's, that's part of it is part of why people try to keep you hooked and to bait you into that is because it makes them feel connected to you. You've built some sort of weird codependent enmeshed 
thing going on. And probably for you, it's created connection too, but it's false connection. It's not true connection. It's not true safety. It's false. And so they want to keep you hooked in. So by unhooking and not engaging anymore, you are actually, they are forced to sit with themselves. As soon as you stop engaging, they're forced to sit with themselves and their shit because you're not carrying it for them anymore. Hmm. It's almost like the way you can do it is, you know, you could also, like I was thinking, you could say uh, as a man who's been the person, like I've been on the other end of that where my wife has said, I've had enough. It ends now. I am not talking to you anymore. Mm-hmm. That's like a red flag to a bull to me because I'm being told what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think what is important in this whole thing is feedback. When they, when this all died down, it's you did not respect my boundary when I told you to stop. That is like, that, that is, if you keep doing that, we do not have a relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you that you did it again. You need, yeah. so, so that feedback um, is really important. The other thing is what I really react to is, Lee, I love you. And for the sake of our relationship, I can see that right now you're not capable of making this decision. So I'm making it for us as a family. We're not having this conversation right now. We can, we can carry it on again when we've both calmed down. But right now, this is not good for us as a family. That gets to me a, a lot better. Than, a lot better than like, no, I'm walking away. I'm not having this conversation. Yeah. But sometimes I can see why that is definitely needed. Definitely. If you've got somebody who just, just wants to, again, if someone slipped into their, I want to be right judge victim kind of mentality. So what would happen? Sorry, I have a question. What would happen if uh, your wife really did say I'm walking away and she left you in your raging bull mood and you had to sit there with it right now? Like, you know what I mean? Like in that scenario that you gave where she doesn't have, she doesn't have to soften it for you or invite you to have a conversation about it later where you really are cut off. Uh, right, you really right. have to sit there in that moment with all of those feelings and you don't, you can't express them. Right now, my, the time it takes me to move from anger to remorse is just so quick. So, mm-hmm. so it's, I still find stop talk, stop talking. Now this is over. Mm-hmm. I still find that a challenge because mm-hmm. I've created a story that it is a, a method of avoiding the issue. Mm-hmm. But I'm realizing through work on my immature masculine archetypes that that I'm I'm actually creating that story because it's benefiting me because I really want to be right. So right. <laughs> so what happens now is it probably would take Liza a few times for her to say to me and levels of aggressions will rise, shut the fuck up basically. But then I go to remorse so quickly. I go to remorse so quickly. I want forgiveness so quickly. So mm. then I, I go take a break and I'm like, okay, how can I own this? What did I do? Mm. And I actually don't give it enough time to go back into the space to try yeah. to, I, I should give it uh, a good 24 hours, I think. But yeah, um, yeah that, that's, so yeah, I'm learning all the time. More meditation and mindfulness has helped me get it more in the moment and, and more presence and practice. But I'm really good at, uh, what do I teach people? It's the repair and rupture. Mm. I'm really good at the repair work. I think if mm. you used to ask Liza, she'd give me a gold star on repair work, mm-hmm. and she'd say, probably got a silver star on rupture. 
<laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think repair work is really important. And part of the repair work too is communicating how you want her to communicate to you when you're in that state and then yeah. respecting. That's that's one of my favorite questions that I used to do with a partner. I was like, okay, you don't like how I'm giving you feedback. How do you want me to say it? Right? Mm-hmm. So then I would say it and he would still not like it. And I go, all right, then. You know, you know what I mean? So I think there is something to, to, when we communicate to someone, this is how I want to be treated. And this is when I'm in my space where I'm all caught up in my shit and I'm not seeing or whatever, it's really nice to tell them how it is you want them to reflect that back to you so mm-hmm. that when they do it, you, again, you're kind of like, oh, okay, it doesn't actually change the fact that I still want to keep doing this thing. Yeah. But now that I've said it and I've told you that that's how I want you to treat me and talk to me. And because I'm aware and I'm conscious or whatever, now I kind of have to. Like, You've got to own it. It's like, <laughs> now um, I really have to, because I told you that's what yeah, I want. Yeah. I, so, when you yeah. say it, you can own it. Mm-hmm. But when someone else says it, you can defend it. Exactly. So I think that's, you know, maybe tell her, how it is you want her to say it to you. I mean, whoever's listening, you know, tell them when I'm in that space and I'm crossing your boundaries, this is how I want you to address that with me. Now you've said it. And when they address it with you like that. Yeah. This, this conversation just goes to show that like relationships are our biggest challenge, Mm -hmm. not just like on a interpersonal level, but in the world. If you look at what's going on in the world right now, it's all, it all comes, we have, um, we've had a guest on here a couple of times called Melanie Joy. She wrote a book called Getting Relationships Right. She said the key to changing this world is in relational literacy. We need to Mm -hmm. learn to communicate better. And I, well, I hope that for the last uh, 90 minutes, we've done that. Jessica, it's been a really um, beautiful experience talking to you. I'm sorry, I, I probably, I hope I didn't disrespect your boundary by running too late. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I've been having a really good time. So um, thank you for having me. It's been a joy. I've nah. really enjoyed it. Until the next time. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> thank you.